This is iUniverse Radio, brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is your opportunity to hear firsthand from authors about their new books. It's an in-depth discussion about the author's passion about the development of his or her story in their own words. It's an inside look into the characters and the plot and how the story all came together. Here is iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. Greetings for Steve Jorgensen and for iUniverse. This is Jay Douglas Barker. Today I'm visiting with author Charlotte Hennessy. Her book title is Here Today and Here Tomorrow, a memoir of spirit communication. I welcome Charlotte. Thank you. Good Thank to you have, very much. Good to have you on the program today. This is an interesting book. It's 260 pages. certainly deals with a topic I'm not as familiar with as others. And to some, it might be considered controversial. Why did you write this book? What motivated you? I was writing, I was telling people about my spiritual experiences, and I just got tired of repeating myself. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to start writing it down. And then I came across this opportunity for um, an auction, a silent auction item for a magazine that said, it was called The Intelligent Optimist, and I love this magazine. Love that. So it... I was a high, I bid on the item, and I was a high bidder. And I said, oh, no, now I really have to do this book. Originally, I was just going to print the pages out and hand them to people so I wouldn't have to keep repeating myself. So it morphed into a memoir, and I felt like spirit uh, was directing me. And when you read the book, you'll see why I felt like I was being egged on by those in spirit. Um, I was actually told by a medium who got a message from my uncle, who I really didn't even know much, um, that he wanted me to put into tangible form what I know about spirit. And would that be your Uncle Jack, by any chance? That was, that was Uncle Jack. Okay. And what did Uncle Jack tell you? Um, basically, he didn't tell me other than just he wanted me to put it into tangible form, and he said, you're smart, I'm smart, we're all smart. And then I checked with family members. <clears throat> he had five children, <clears throat> excuse me, and they all said that is exactly the way he would say something. He would acknowledge the intelligence of the whole family. And even though I didn't know him much, he had the humor. I recognized it, and I felt he was really there. Um, that was like one of the many, many experiences I've had via either mediums or my own uh, experiences directly that proved to me that, that life continues, that we don't, we don't die. Uh, and this is not a radical opinion. A lot of people have believed this for a long time, going back to time immemorial, um, but I present this in a way that is intriguing, I think, also humorous and heartfelt. I, I put a lot of, uh, I describe people as they were when they were human beings on Earth. And do you think this book is going to be more interesting to read than people getting to know you as a person? What do you think? Um, I think so. I mean, you know, I'd love to know everybody in the world, but I do think that my friends find me pretty interesting. Um, but as far as people who don't know me, um, I've asked my friends, you know, would people who don't know me find this interesting? And everybody has said absolutely that they didn't know the people I was fleshing out, the spirits. Some of them did not know these people, and they were intrigued and wanted to know them, they said. Um, because there's a lot of humor, and I talk about their antics and their witticisms, because I wanted to keep it light. There are a lot of 
personal interactions in this book, Ben. Exactly. And, Many personal interactions. And, con- and, and conversations with your characters. And conversations, yeah. And, uh, and a lot of the messages I've gotten, most of them that I describe in the beginning of the book, are from mediums. That, that, um, my mother had a friend who took us to this church when I was 19, and I saw a medium there who was so unbelievably great. Uh, Franklin Roosevelt used to fly her out to the White House. Uh, during World War II to get, have seances with those in his uh, cabinet. And she was just phenomenal. And anyone who had seen her in action really could not doubt that the spirit survives the body because they were, she was so evidential and could say nicknames and people would be in tears. And, they, you know, people, she, the, the beauty of this is that they don't know you. And so you think, how would they possibly know this? And then another thing... Um, Sometimes I've gotten messages that I couldn't recognize the person right away, and then I'll ask a family member, you know, is this true about them? And they'll, they'll say, yeah. Or let's, let's say I couldn't recognize a message at the time, and then it's maybe a couple of uh, hours later, I'll recognize, oh, my God, that fit the person exactly. So it's not like you're thinking of the person and they're reading your mind. It's, it doesn't work like that. It really proved to me that the spirit does survive the body, the, the, the demise of the body. Well, explain the chapter Tempurpedic Mattress. That oh, okay. <laughs> now, I have two Tempurpedic Mattresses now, one for guests and one for me. Um, I have what you call sometimes, and this doesn't happen often, but it does occasionally happen, a clear audience experience, which is you will hear something, and it's not your voice, and it's, it's not the way you even word things. Um, I woke up one morning, I was either falling asleep or waking up, and I, which is when your consciousness is a little bit elevated, your, your vibration is elevated. So those in spirit, whoever wanted to tell me this, could contact my mind. It's like a telepathic communication. And um, <clears throat> I, I heard this gentle but very firm mattress, I mean mattress, sorry, gentle but very firm voice, which is uh, ironically like the mattress, uh, and it was a female voice, nobody I recognized, and it said, that mattress saved your back, make no mistake about it. And as I say in the book, it's not an ad for Tempur-Pedic, uh, although it would be nice if they could give me a pillow, but I'm not going to ask for it. I can afford to buy a pillow. Well, if you get an extra um, mattress, send it my way. I will. Okay, I'll tell them. But I, I, I actually have about 12 friends who have purchased um, this Tempur-Pedic mattress, even before I heard this voice. Uh, <laughs> based on my experience with it. So I do believe in the mattress, and I used to wake up with a stiff back, stiff kind of all over, and after having this mattress, I mean, like I say in the book, I could, if I wanted to, jump out of bed in the morning, but I don't do that, because why would I want to do that? And what's the point? You just have to what get into the, point the day of jumping too, out yeah, of bed. You're getting into the day too yeah. quickly. Yeah, exactly. Oh, and that's, that's the story of the Tempur-Pedic mattress. That's it. I mean, it was just an example. I say I throw out examples of how spirit can communicate things to you um, when you're in a certain state of uh, mind. Like if you're asleep, a lot of times they come through in dreams. I know a lot of people have experienced this, and most people don't talk about it simply because they don't want to be ridiculed. But I don't really care um, about ridicule. I'm of an age where I'm kind of beyond worrying about if people care. I never really cared too much about what people thought of me because I'm a good person. I don't lie. I'm an honest person. I've worked hard all my life and I feel proud. 
um, and I'm proud to share this, and I, I want people to be less afraid of death, and I want people to not grieve so much or feel, feel that they're never going to see these loved ones again, because they will. The front of your book has some strawberries on it, and I notice yeah. that one of your chapters or one of your headings is The Disappearing Strawberries. No relation to yeah. the mutiny on the bounty. <laughs> here today, here tomorrow. <laughs> Tell me about that. Okay, no relation to mutiny on the bounty. Um, I am, I, I'm, as I say, a very rational, level-headed person, very practical. I've had, a, you know, um, a restaurant, co-owned a restaurant for 10 years, and you've got to be practical to do that. I have a degree from the University of California at Berkeley, so you can't be too far out there, um, maybe politically, but not, you know, rationally. Right. But, uh, <clears throat> but um, the disappearing strawberries happened uh, about two weeks after my aunt passed away, and we had a history of strawberries. She loved strawberries. And I had, I mean, you, people really do need to read the whole thing to understand how this could have happened, but they... I had a thing about five strawberries every morning if they were of a certain size. And I had a thing also, and I kind of still do, about odd numbers. So anyway, I was I had these five strawberries in a basket. I had been grieving heavily for her um, the night before. Um, all the funeral was over and everything was done, and I could finally really let my hair down and grieve and cry my eyes out. But the next morning I got up and did my thing, I got the strawberries out, put them in the basket, washed them, um, uh, made my coffee, took about 30 seconds, I turned around, and there were only two strawberries in the basket. Mm-hmm. So this is one of the most far-out st- parts of this. This is, this is what they call apports, where the spirits can actually remove something or move, or move something. And I think my grandmother, her mother, who had been in spirit for 50 years at that time, um, was behind it all. Um, because they, I looked everywhere. I couldn't find stems anywhere. I hadn't spaced out and eaten them because I don't do it that way. Um, it was really evidential that they were letting me know that she's fine. She is fine. Stop your grieving. Don't worry. I mean, of course, you don't stop grieving automatically. It's a good process to go through. But, you know, eventually you have to stop grieving and know that you will see them and everything's fine. And it was kind of humorous because of if you when you read the book, I can't go into all of it, but that chapter on the disappearing strawberries does tell our connection with strawberries. So um, that's it. And it looks like your communication style is conversational on its approach as well. Exactly, yeah. And people have said that to me. Uh, pe- friends of mine who said, you know, it felt like I was sitting sitting down just talking with you about it. And even they have learned a lot of stories that they haven't heard before because... I'm one of these people that hates to repeat myself too much, but, um, you know, I've told so many people certain things, but I haven't told everybody everything, so it was a surprise to see some of these uh, occurrences. And comforting, a couple of friends have said that, for instance, my, uh, my working out my uh, and forgiveness of my father for being an absentee father uh, happened through this church, I think, through having mediums come through, and he could... They can tell you things that they couldn't tell you, you know, and, and you do feel like they're really there and you, you, you know that it's too evidential to not be. And it helped, it helped me, and I think it could help other people. If they, if they do get this kind of spirit communication, they can heal their lives. And who do you think this is going to be uh, appealing to? Who would embrace your writing on this book and on this subject? 
Um, I pretty much think anybody that's intrigued by the, the you know, the spirit communication, anyone who who wants to read something that has heart and humor, um, not it's not all like hitting you over the head. I'm not trying to be pious or preachy. I just say, you know, this is what I believe. This is my experience. It's not Pollyanna-ish. It's just a, but it is a feel-good book, I think, and. There's a lot of laughs, as I say, and, and some tears if you're into, you know, really getting in tune with, with what I was experiencing. So anyone who needs, like, to kind of figure out, is there a purpose to our lives? What's the purpose? And I do think that our earth is a kindergarten, um, and our le- love is our lesson. That's our main lesson, is to learn about love. And we have to, I know this is not new, this has been said forever, but I think the spirits want us to know that it's very important for us to treat each other with a golden rule all at all anytime we can good thought and how would you introduce this to someone this book no well, i would say i talk about spiritualism um the messages i've personally received i enumerate my clear audience experiences i give examples of soul flight uh, where i've met in dreams um people who are on the other side or, you know, I, I use that expression, on the other side. I don't know how it works, but, I, you know, they're very substantial. They're tangible. They're real in your dream, in my dreams. And I also talk about the movement and disappearance of material objects, which um, I give two examples of that. And, um, if people want to know about how they can get in touch with their spirit guides or their loved ones in spirit, <clears throat> I think meditation helps. And I give examples. Meditation that really is easy. It's like... Sometimes people are afraid of the word meditation, but it can you can do it in a few minutes and in any way you want. It doesn't have to be, you know, sitting cross-legged with your uh, with your thumb and finger, forefinger together, you know, you don't index finger together. You don't have to do any fancy things. You just sit there and be quiet and don't have anybody disturbing you even for a few minutes a day. Or sometimes I just dance around. I'll put on some music and dance around and that kind of puts me in a state of mind where I think it allows the spirits to kind of connect with you better. Is this your first written book? It is my first written book. I've, I've been writing forever, um, since I was 10. I started writing poetry, and I have written a lot of articles and, and that kind of thing, but this is actually my first book. Any challenging parts of putting this together? Um, I wouldn't call it challenging. Maybe organizing may have been the, the biggest challenge, but I really do think that they were helping me. and. It kind of flowed um, when I was writing it. it. It seems like it was it was more fun. I looked forward to sitting down, and I didn't do it every day. I just did it when I kind of felt like it, because it was self-published with iUniverse, so I didn't feel the pressure um, that I was on any deadline, and I think that worked for me very well, because I could just kind of feel um, that it was happening in, in the right time. It was real time, too, because then, uh, I don't want to give away the ending of the book, but it was kind of interesting the way spirit kind of guided me and came through at a certain time and i won't tell you who came through but it was kind of a critical perfect ending i think and not to be bragging but i think that because it's not me i don't want to take too much credit because they were behind it the people in in the spirit world I'm, i'm pretty sure were behind it the title of the book is here today here tomorrow a memoir of spirit communications Our author, Charlotte Hennessy. Thank you, Charlotte, for joining us today. Thank you so much. This has been very fun for me. Great. Well, tell me where we can get copies of your book. 
um, either through the publisher, which is iUniverse, and that would be online, and also Amazon carries it, and Barnes and Noble, or if you want to support your local bookstore, you can order it through them. Any possibility you're going to be releasing some of your poetry? You know, I thought about that, and a lot of people, that you know, my poetry, I have to say, is simple, and I love poetry like that, where you don't have to read it three or four times to get it. Um, but I, I do love my poetry, and I feel that it does say what I need to say, and, and again, I think spirit is behind a lot of that, too. Well, thank you for joining us today. Again, the and book title, Here Today, Here Tomorrow. Charlotte Hennessy has been our guest. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. For iUniverse, this is J. Douglas Barker. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Hi, everybody. This is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station. Why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear these latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix. Connect with Juliana and connect with what lies beneath. Friday afternoons at 4, 3 central on toginet.com. Juliana is a marriage, family, and child therapist who wants people to connect. Connect with what lies beneath, those truths and answers. And through her counseling practice, she has helped others find their personal power and fulfill their dreams. And she wants to do the same for you. Here on Connect with Juliana. Through intimate discussions, intriguing subject matters, and the expertise of her guests. For more on the show and Juliana, check out her webpage. Connect with Juliana in media.com. Juliana will cover it all. Nothing is off limits. She wants to know what matters to you. Make the connection. Tune in to Toginet to connect with Juliana to find out the facts that could be hidden beneath the surface. Connect with Juliana on Toginet to make a quality connection in your life. Friday afternoons at 4, 3 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. Greetings for Steve Jorgensen and for iUniverse. This is J. Douglas Barker. Today I'm here to discuss a book titled Miracles Happen Sometimes. The author, Cliff Cook. This important book deals with the difficult subject of anorexia and bulimia, eating disorders not to be taken lightly. This is a true account of one person's incredible journey of survival once the residual effects take over their body. Cliff, tell us the backstory. Why did you get motivated to write this book? Was it about a family member? Yes, uh, this happened to my wife. Uh, what had happened was, before we were married, she did have some uh, stomach problems, ulcer problems that were addressed and were taken care of at the time. But unfortunately, we started noticing over a period of time, things just didn't seem right. One of them was after a very major operation, 
Uh, she lost an incredible amount of weight. At that time, the doctors didn't seem too worried. They figured, and we figured, eventually she'll put on the weight. But as time went on, the weight never was put on. She just kept on losing it, losing it, and losing it. And eventually, symptoms started popping up that really grabbed my attention and some of the other doctors that were involved, their attention as well, that we may have something serious on our hands. What was the final diagnosis? She passed away from complete uh, complete shutdown, renal failure, dist- respiratory uh, distress, uh, just about anything you could think of, mm. uh, circulation problems, everything just either slowly but surely started going downhill, a couple of them happened all at once. Surprisingly, that she lasted so long is, is very questionable for the doctors. They have volumes and volumes of this case on record, and it seemed like every time they were ready to write her off, she comes bouncing back and then uh, going through the same process of going through therapy, going through uh, medical therapy, and so on. It was working, and then something came up, like she contracted pneumonia, or because her humidity was uh, so low, uh, it didn't take much for her uh, for contracting a, an infection. Hmm. And because of that, there were constant trips. If she wasn't in ICU, she was over at a nursing home, and vice versa. Wow. And where does anorexia and bulimia fit into this story? Um, again, she had the gastrointestinal problems that kept on manifesting itself, and they were taken care of. We knew where they were taken care of, but what had happened was where things began to happen. Like, for example, we could be over at her parents' place for a get-together uh, for dinner or what have you, and then, you know, she'll disappear for about a half hour or so, and where's Pam? And I don't know, she stepped out or what have you. And sooner or later, you know, she'll make her appearance and she'll try to do some quick, fast, double talk of, oh, don't worry about it, nothing's wrong or anything of that nature. And it wasn't until one of the locations where we live, there was kind of like a, um, oh, a, a block party, so to speak, uh, around the neighborhood pool. And at one point, again, she did one of her disappearing acts, and it wasn't until maybe later towards the end of that uh, party, one of the neighbors came up and tapped me on the shoulder and said, I, I think your wife's in the bathroom um, sick, and you may want to check on it. Uh, mm. As time went by, I, there was we just couldn't uh, be able to get uh, through to her because, of course, she always locked the bathrooms and what have you. And, of course, common sense tells me, you know, don't go barging in there or else you're going to regret it. So other things started uh, happening, too, that to the point after her binging or purging uh, situations or episodes... Uh, we noticed, I noticed, her electrical lights uh, started decreasing dramatically to the point that uh, we're not talking about give her a few sips of Gatorade. We had to run her down to the nearest um, emergency room 
hook her up for IVs to uh, get her electrolytes back together again before they could release her. Hmm. Explain to our listeners the difference between anorexia and bulimia. Okay, anorexia basically is just withdrawing, withholding the food from entering your body within, uh, from entering your system. That is completely different than the bulimia, which there, again, the person will go ahead and eat, maybe sometimes to the point they will overeat. Uh, we're talking about maybe eating like two or three hamburgers at a sitting, uh, probably wiping out a, a whole cake or a whole pie at one sitting, and then within minutes they will go ahead and start their uh, purging process, uh, whether it be, say, for example, trying to make themselves vomit to get rid of it, or even in cases uh, that really uh, get um, scary are the ones that the people are constantly taking laxatives to make sure the uh, food constantly goes right through the digestive system. Wow. And Pam's situation was very severe, uh, even led to amputation of both feet. What other dire consequences were the result of her binging and purging? One of the um, symptoms that will happen, or diseases if you want to call it, uh, respiratory uh, distress. Uh, It could lead to what I had pointed out would be uh, the acronym ARDS, Acute Respiratory uh, Stress Syndrome. What happens, you have basically the same case like if you were having pneumonia, the lungs will fill up on you, but what happens is areas of the lungs will be permanently damaged. Usually in a situation like that, the best thing to do is the surgeon will have to go in there, cut out that portion, and the person eventually heals over a period of time. In Pam's case, it was like anything and everything went wrong at the same time. She came down with a pneumonia where she immediately was uh, placed on first an oxygen mask, then initially... After that, she uh, was uh, placed on a ventilator. Uh, by the time she was on a ventilator, she was uh, very, very incoherent to the, port th- to the point that uh, the medical staff decided to put her into a medically induced coma, which lasted for about the next oh, three or four months afterwards. During that time, about the same time that the, she was put on the ventilator, that's when the ARDS took place. And if I couldn't believe it, and probably some of the other doctors couldn't believe it, was within a couple of days after that, she sustained a collapsed lung. Her right lung collapsed on her. So here she has this problem of the lungs filling up with fluid and damage permanently, but at the same time the lung collapsed. And that was the night that the doctor, one doctor, just pulled me aside and just told me, all right, uh, he just didn't expect her to make it through the evening. Mm. Tough words. Were there, early, yes, were there early signs of this disease prior to your getting married? And what were they? I want to say yes, but I, would, I want to say no at the same time because uh, she uh, had an ulcer problem just before we got married. And what had happened was about one year, maybe a year and a half before we got married, she had surgery that uh, supposedly took care of this. What had happened was 
uh, in layman's terms, the scar tissue build up over the pyloric muscle, which leads to the intestinal tract, and uh, just darn near sealed off her stomach. So what happened was they removed that, and usually uh, you don't see that type of operation until you're collecting Social Security or something like that. So she went ahead and had that operation, but then it greatly restricted her uh, diet on what she could eat. Uh, we noticed that she had some problems with certain things, uh, certain foods, and uh, others she didn't. Uh, so we just pretty much kept an eye on her uh, during that time that she was recovering, and everything seemed to be okay until um, about the time we were about to be married. One week beforehand, uh, she had to be uh, admitted to the hospital because she had she had flu-like symptoms. But what had happened too, she also couldn't control her vomiting at the time, which caused her to you know, dehydrate and all that that goes along with it. And somehow or another, the doctors were able to kind of head it off at the pass. They were able to control it and have her released in time so that we could still go ahead and go on with the wedding. But then slowly but surely, um, about six months later, after we were married, that's when her health really began to take a big dip. Is there any specific story that you want readers to take away from this or moral uh, about this real-life drama that took place in your life. What do you want readers to take away from this? This is really looking at, um, I guess, a real dark side of reality, and it does have fatal consequences. Um, you could be the most opera, uh, optimistic person on the face of the earth and try to face something of this nature but when you see all these odds all these happenings and all what the doctors keep on telling you that uh, it's going to happen it's like you can't shut it off it's you can't say well you know things are going to be better tomorrow uh, that was the one problem that we had with her mother-in-law or my mother-in-law Pam's mother um, I always used to call her the uh, hopeless op uh, optimistic, and in the face of what was happening, uh, both myself as well as Pam's sister couldn't believe the behavior that she was exhibiting. Uh, we felt that it, she just couldn't understand or accept the fact that her own daughter was going through this, and at the same time, she's going ahead and saying, don't worry, everything will be okay. She'll be out in a few days, and everything uh, will be fine again. And it actually took a situation that at one of the times she had to be rushed back to ICU, um, doctors, again, were very, very worried. She had the infection. Uh, they didn't know which way she would go and all that, and the best thing they just said is they'll keep her there, they'll go ahead, run the tests, give her the medications and all that, and see if, you know, time takes its course. And it's mentioned in the book, almost verbatim, that as soon as the doctor said that, Pam's mother goes up to her, and she's semi-conscious as to what's going on, and she goes, you see, the doctor's going to take care of you, and you're going to be out of here very soon. 
And the only way I could describe it is Eileen, uh, Pam's sister, she just got in her mother's face and just looked like she, after all the, the couple years that all this had been going on, she just let loose that this is not the case. This is not what the doctor said. We have something serious here, and we just have to pretty much rely on medical science to do what they can do in order to go ahead and save her. Hmm. Again, too, the way it happened, the fact that there's somebody, well, the fact that most of the time she had to be in ICU. And for people who had never been exposed to that, it is a very, very eye-opening awakening going through the ICU unit, let alone visiting your own uh, loved one that's in there because we're talking about people that uh, it's it's not like what you see on TV or in the movies. Uh, those people in there, they're probably on their last breath or uh, time is very, very short for them to uh, carry on or see the next day for that matter. Uh, Lord knows how many times that I was in Pam's room and all of a sudden you see them uh, wheeling out the gurney with uh, the body bag on top of it and no way they went to the morgue. Uh, Also, too, another fact is that at one point um, one of her last infections really, really affected her uh, heart to the point that the doctor told me if anything happened with respect to cardiac arrest, uh, the chances are very good she's not going to uh, survive it, which means um, anytime you hear or see, you know, the code blue call going out, um, I'm not sure, I don't know what the exact number is, but it's like well over 90% of the times that are called uh, code blue, especially in the ICU units, the person does not survive. What do you want readers to take away from this story? This, I wanted to make it like an eye-opener. Today, even to a certain degree, uh, anorexia and bulimia are pretty much kind of like, you know, in the shadows. You just don't want to talk about it and uh, not deal with it. And if you deal with it, you try to hide it. Um, But that's fine. Same thing has happened with other diseases before in the past, but in this particular case, I decided to take it a step further. Uh, I go ahead and say, okay, this is something that, first of all, the book itself, Pam wanted to write about her experiences, what she was going through and what she was going to to make herself healthy again. I myself did not want to get involved in it whatsoever. Um, I figured this was going to be her own doing, and I just did not want to get involved because uh, at first, especially during the early months, um, uh, things weren't going very well, so to speak. So uh, what had happened was she asked me just a few things about what's going on in the background, the times that she was in a coma, what was happening, and so on. Well, after her passing... I came across her writings and all that and gave it a thought and said, okay, well, I'll go ahead and do it, but uh, I'm going to take it a step further. 
Uh, you want to show the dark side, what happens when you get to that point that, as I mentioned in the book, once the uh, symptoms, the residual uh, effects start taking a uh, hold after all these years of binging, purging, and Lord knows what else, um, bad things are going to happen. Hmm. And not only does it affect you, it affects everybody, it affects the whole family. Um, life in general is not the same. It's it, it gets to the point that I don't know how many times I used to go to bed at night just, you know, sitting there waiting for the phone to ring and knowing what's going to happen or, you know, if they had to rush her back to the hospital or if they had to go ahead and put her back on a ventilator because her breathing uh, became labored again. or um, it's, it's, it's something that you're going to have to... I'm not going to say learn to live with it. It's something that has to be dealt with. You're going to have to make decisions uh, for the person and what have you. Um, you cannot really sugarcoat it when you talk to others. The, they hear that, oh, you know, I heard you know, your wife's sick on this and that, this and that, you know, what is happening and all that. And not going into too much detail, I kind of tell them, you know, you know this is something serious. Um uh, this this book is written from her perspective, isn't it? It's well, actually what about, it's, it's oh, some of it. Let's see. First few chapters. The first okay. The first chapter was uh, my doing. I went ahead. That's kind of like my introduction to the book itself. Then let's see. The next ooh, four chapters after that, those were her own words. Those were her writings uh, explaining. Uh, what happened? She was in the hospital. Then one day she wakes up. It's three months later, and she doesn't know what's going on. Her right. hands and legs are heavily bandaged, and so on. And uh, she just goes on to describe what it was like for her to go through rehabilitation to get to the point that she could be able to eventually walk on prosthetic devices um, and be able to move around on her own, be able somewhat take care of herself. And then, uh, then what happened was uh, right when it cut off, that's when she passed away, and that's where I decided to come in, and I knew, again, I wasn't going to sugarcoat this. I was just going to go in and say, this is what happened. This is the dark side. If kids out there, young adults, whoever think it's very fashionable for this eating purging to look good, to wear that size zero dress or what have you, okay, go ahead and do it, but this is what happens. Right. And it's not very pretty. Well, I, for one, appreciate your sharing your story. Uh, her comments and her writing, she said, I could not stay out of the hospital for any given length of time. And each time the doctors were about to write me off, but I showed him. And the beautiful thing about her life, from my perspective, is she says, with my faith and trust in the Lord, there is nothing going to stop me. But even that healing outreach didn't work, did it? No, it didn't. Uh, because the lifestyle and commitment she made to anorexia and bulimia, purging, purging and, and, uh, and, and all of that uh, finally caught up with her. And very sad story. What was the time period that this took place? Uh, this happened, it started just before Christmas of 2002, 
and finally ended on the day of her passing, March 2nd of 2006. This was over a little three years that this uh, carried on, and it, it seemed more than that to the point that I know I lost all track of time. The same was uh, our, the family. We, we were just caught up with this, that the outside world didn't matter anymore. Thank you for sharing this important story, not only for our listeners, but for those who have teenagers, grandkids. This is something they need to read. The title, again, is Miracles Happen Sometimes. The author is Cliff Cook. Thank you, Cliff, for sharing your story with us. Where can we get copies of your book? Okay. Right now, as we speak, we are working on a website. Uh, It's not up and running yet. But from uh, the information I submitted to iUniverse, the website, it's going to be www.miraclesHappenSometimes.com. Thank you, So hopefully, once this gets running in a couple weeks, um, you're going to see a lot more uh, information that I'm willing to go ahead and share at that time. Thank you so much for joining us today. Correct spelling of Cliff's last name is K-O-C-H, pronounced Cook. Thank you, Cliff. Thank you. I hope to hear from you in the future with some updates and some positive news. For iUniverse, this is J. Douglas Barker. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Helen Wu was born and raised in San Francisco's Chinatown. And after a very difficult upbringing, fighting depression, abuse, and addictions, she finally finds herself genuinely happy inside and out. Helen believes in taking our positive thinking and doing something positive to achieve a positive outcome. She's here to make a positive difference in your life, to be your game changer, your aha moment mentor. She's ready to help both men and women get into a better place. Helen Wu is also the author of Self-Aid Success Stories, 25 Success Stories from Successful Entrepreneurs. Inspired by Ellen DeGeneres, Helen wants the world to know that just because we find ourselves in a difficult situation doesn't mean we have to stay there. We can aid ourselves to a better life. So join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. Greetings for Steve Jorgensen and for iUniverse. This is J. Douglas Barker. The title of the book is The Green Side of a Woman, and the author is Kirsten Dallin Hedenblad. And we visit with the author who has connected with us from Sweden. Welcome, Kirsten. Good evening, Jay. Tell me about your book, the title, The Green Side of a Woman. What is the significance of that title? Well, I thought about uh, the growth and the strength in women, and uh, that's why I, I uh, wrote the, the word green, because it's uh, the green of the trees, it's the green of a, uh, a meadow, and it's the green of a rainforest. It's the green of very strong growth yeah and that's uh, that's uh, the the meaning of the green then i i thought about side it it's it's not obvious that all uh, women have their green 
that grows and that springs on the on the surface all the time. Sometimes you have to to find it within you. So uh, that's why I I put side in the title. How did you come yeah? to write this book? What motivated you? What got you started on the path of putting this book together? Well, I uh, I was. Uh, 56 years old uh, I had a marriage uh, behind me of uh, 30 years and uh, suddenly I found myself on my own and uh, that was quite a challenge so I decided to to share my experiences about that and also to 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 discover more about it more about other pe- other women's marriages. You mentioned Kenya in your book. Tell me the connection between your writing, Sweden, and Kenya. Well, Kenya and Sweden are two so different countries. They are so far from each other, and they are so they are considered very, very uh, not similar. So, so I wanted to point out that uh, many experiences inside women are, are the same, even if the, the, the condi- conditions, the circumstances are quite different. You mentioned many different colors related to the Kenyan culture. Can you explain some of those for us? Colors? Uh, I think it was related to perhaps the costumes of the ladies or the women involved. You mentioned... Uh, yes, it was. Yes, yes, yes. Well, I wanted to to just have a, a, some some picture of a woman in, in front of uh, you when you read uh, about this wo- woman. But I, I wanted, on the same time, I wanted to, to have uh, anonymity for those women. So... So I just chose to, to chose to to have their uh, dresses, the co- color of their dresses, uh, as a significant yeah name or something. All right. For 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 example, in your book you have a title: "Women or Woman in Yellow, Woman in Turquoise." Yes. Those are specifically for individuals without giving their names. Yes, it is. They were wearing. They they at the time when I met those women, they were wearing clothes in those colors. Tell me the story that stood out to you the most in your conversations with Kenyans. I I thought about uh, the the conditions, uh, the economical or the survival conditions uh, were very very different between those uh, women in Kenya. It's not uh, just between uh, the Kenyan women and the Swedish women, and it's it's very different uh, between Kenyan women too. And I have in fact uh, wanted to to take out the similarities in all the all the stories. I think. What is the law of Jante? Yeah, that's a Scandinavian writer, uh, Sandemug. It's he he uh, wrote in the 20th century, and uh, he wrote uh, ten laws, uh, and one of them, uh, which is the mo- most obvious, is uh, you don't uh, you don't have the the, the uh, you're not allowed to be something. You, no, excuse me. Uh, don't think that you you are something. 
uh, and that that's in our culture in Scandinavia. It's a very very strong base, or it's an it has an impact on us, and and uh, it's about not uh, not being uh, protruding in in some way, not being. Uh, not being more than anyone else, or not, uh, not even uh, be. <laughs> ah, blending with uh, blending I mean, with you, the. You don't have to. You don't have to. to um, Would it be uh, like blending in with the rest of society? Yeah, it's, it's about blending in, and it's about uh, in in blending in. You have to to more or less uh, creep. Mm. I I mean. Not 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 standing out, yes. Not standing out, blending in and not standing out. And it's a, it's a, it can be an obstacle for for uh, someone who wants to go further. When you're trying to make achievements in life, then this is an obstacle for ladies and for others, individuals who follow that. Yes, it's really an obstacle because you 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 don't uh, you don't dare to show. That uh, that you make achievements and uh, and uh, perhaps you you don't even dare to do them because you 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 can end up thinking that you don't uh, even deserve uh, being uh, on your way. You you have to excuse for your existence. Mm-hmm. And is that changing? Is there a change in, in the attitude? A small small change, yes. But uh, yes, it is. If you if you look at the the young generation of the the, the people uh, who are now uh, tw- in the tw- in their twenties, you you can see a change. But um, otherwise, it's uh, quite uh, quite strong. This thing. And who do you think this book you're writing is going to appeal to? Who did you write it specifically to instruct and inform? Well. I thought about women who, in some way, had been uh, diminished, who had uh, let themselves uh, being being diminished, and uh, not, uh, and perhaps went through a divorce or went through difficult uh, circumstances in their marriages, or uh, even. Uh, yeah, in, in some difficulties in in their situation, and uh, perhaps uh, even being burnt out. And I thought about uh, writing something very short and very. I mean, I had so much to 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 say. I had so much to tell, but I chose I chose to to write a very small book because and, and quite quite small chapters because I I thought. When I was burnt out, I, I wanted a guidance and I wanted to read, but I, I, had, I didn't have the force to, to read uh, big books. So I thought about that. And um, also, I think it's, it's, interest, it's, it's interesting for, for a lot of people to, to, to get to know how, how life is for uh, women in, in different parts of, of the, the world. So that's a, a, a thing that I, I thought about, too. Did you personally travel mm-hmm. to Kenya to visit with these yes, people? Did. You did. Yes, I did. And how long did that take? Well, I was there uh, two or three weeks. Three weeks, I think. And? I, yeah. I, 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 I was three weeks. Uh, 
at the time. Uh, so so uh, I went around. And how would you introduce this book to someone that doesn't know of you or your writing? Well, yeah, it's a book about uh, women's experiences. Uh, it's about a book about my thinking, my reflections, and my my uh, reasoning about uh, marriage and divorce and outburn. And it's also about uh, my experiences of uh, those things. And uh, in and the main thing is that you can put very difficult things behind you, and you can you can just rise and and go further. That's the the, the clue, I think. And uh, and uh, I wanted to I wanted also to to write about this because. I was in quite, uh, I wasn't young any longer when I was left. So I thought about uh, that being a, a certain issue because when you're living, when you're living in a marriage, you, you have a certain role in, in society and, and it's, it's quite uh, difficult to find yourself in, in uh, another position. And, uh, and that's, that was the thing that I, I also thought about, that it could be perhaps encouraging and inspiring to, to, to read about somebody who, who went, uh, who go further, uh, even in, in that age. Yes, not, not controlled by negative circumstances. No, exactly, yes. I noticed in some of the stories of the Kenyan ladies that a couple of them had very difficult experiences and yet survived those and are doing well. They're thriving. Is that the correct uh, understanding yes. of, of that story? Yes, it's, it's really the correct understanding, yes. And I wanted very much to point that out. Is there anything about writing this book besides reflecting on your own history that was challenging? Mm. Well, I think this interview is quite challenging. It, is it? Is it me or? <laughs> but, uh, but writing is not as challenging for me. But it's it's uh, it's the thing that uh, being in public and being uh, I, I I've been quite a timid person. I have been a, a, a person that uh, don't want to to uh, reveal uh, too much of my privacy and not being. Uh, so much. Uh, well, I, 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 I'm a person that has been, uh, uh, have been uh, quite uh, yeah, gray. <laughs> now, tell me, is there an underlying message that you want readers to take from the writing, the green side of a woman? Yes, it's uh, that I want all the readers to embrace their strength. I would say, leave your fear behind. And keep a positive attitude. Believe in yourself and never give up. Those are important messages that everyone can appreciate and learn from. I will tell the listeners there's 106 pages of this type of inspiration for you to enjoy. The back of your book outlines the story like this. She shares the stories of three women from each country to celebrate the power of the universal female spirit. Their stories are meant to serve as a wake-up call to women of the world, especially those who have allowed themselves to be diminished in their marriages with humor and empathy. It offers up courage, joy, pride, strength, and trust as inspiration for those still searching for their inner bliss. 
The story is titled, The Green Side of a Woman. Our author is Kirsten Dollins-Hiddenblad. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much. And how can we get copies of your book? Well, you can uh, you can uh, have it through Amazon.com, and you can have it for, through a lot of other e ebook stores, and uh, even you can you can uh, look at uh, Amazon.com and and iUniverse and uh, find the the ESPN number, and then you can can uh, have it from your local uh, trade or lo- local bookstore. Well, thank you for your inspiration in putting this book together. We hope to hear from you in the future. Have you written anything else at this point? Yes, I have. I, I, I'm a ghostwriting, so, uh, so this is not uh, always public. <laughs> okay. But uh, I'm ghostwriting, and I'm, I'm, I'm uh, writing on uh, one thing uh, with uh, somebody, somebody else, and I'm, I'm uh, writing on my own, too. Well, be- best of luck in the future, and we hope to hear from you again. For iUniverse, this is J. Douglas Barker. iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is produced by TogiNet Radio. Radio with a cutting edge.